Welcome to Voice of Albertans with Disabilities, aka VAD Society's podcast. I'm Teresa Jackson, your host and VAD's Program and Service Manager. Thank you for joining us today. Today on the podcast, I'll be talking to two community influencers and getting their perceptions about the Housing Lab project they have been part of over the last year. I met our first guest through her volunteer role as a board member for Voice of Albertans with Disabilities, and now she's a fellow employee. I met our second guest through her role as a volunteer in the local community, and I'm proud to say I've known both these wonderful ladies for a number of years now. I'm excited by their knowledge and understanding of the community as it pertains to inclusion, accessibility, and full participation, and specifically today about the Housing Project Lab. Together we hold the power. Please welcome Michelle Bissell and Roxanne Ulanicki. Hello ladies, can you give us a brief introduction of yourself? Michelle, you can go first. Well, I've been with VAD now for four years, just over four years. And before that, I was on the VAD board for a couple of years. And I work um, part-time sometimes at the UA with the Occupational Therapy Department. Roxanne? Hi, well I'm Roxanne and I'm a community advocate in the community. I ended up retiring from my career in 2005 and decided that day that I would use my pension as a paycheck and advocate for people with disabilities. So happy to be here. Thanks. That was wonderful. As we're on a podcast, I have a few fun questions to get to know you a little better. And then I have some more serious questions about the Housing Lab project we can jump into later. So let's get started. Michelle, if you could visit anywhere in the world, where would it be? I would go to Greece. Why? Why? Because I took the classics in university and it would be neat to see all the stadium and everything they talked about in the... In the and I hear the beach there is gorgeous. I agree, it would be. Roxanne, if you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose? Well, I mean, that's a very hard question. But because of the work Michelle and I do, I would want to meet Nelson Mandela. We use a quote of his in our presentation. I just think it would be delightful to meet him in person. (laughs) Nice. Michelle, if you won $10 million tomorrow, what would you spend it on? After you bought us lunch. <laughs> yeah. Just lunch? No, we have the whole shebang there. Um, no, I would um, help my family and friends, pay off our debt, maybe build myself an accessible house. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Roxanne, if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what oh. would it be? Oh my god. That's a terrible idea. You're a <laughs> but, Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a, you know, I, my heritage is Ukrainian, so, and I don't, I don't cook Ukrainian food, so <laughs> I think that's a great idea. You know, cabbage rolls, pierogies, oh, nachinka, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh. you know, mashed potatoes, some sort of lovely meat. Mm, yummy. <laughs> Thanks for those great answers, ladies. Let's talk serious and get your perception on what's going on in regards to the Housing Lab project. Can you please explain what the Housing Lab project is for those of us that don't know about the project? Go ahead. Um, Well, so I actually gave a presentation here at Artspace almost 10 years ago. And one of the organizers of that project then remembered me. And so when they started up the Affordable Housing Solutions Lab at the U of A, Laura Murphy gave me a call and said, would you be interested in being a fellow on the lab? And I thought, well, that sounds really important. 
that I could say I'm a fellow. But also my passion for almost my entire life has been housing. That that's one of the basic things that people need. People with disabilities and especially people with mobility impairments. And that's the hardest thing to find. And when you don't have that basic living need met, it's really hard to get educated, be employed, have families. You know, we need that basic starting point that everyone else has. And, you know, I spent 20 years looking for accessible housing in Edmonton before I found where I live now. Wow. Um, so I'm really passionate about, you know, making it better. Maybe not for me and my generation, but the next generation coming up. You know, I, coming out of a family, growing up with siblings and trying to achieve all the life goals everyone else wants to, we need access to housing. You know, so yeah, so it's just a passion of mine. And she and, drug, drug me into it. <laughs> yeah, and they, they asked a number of people from the community. Yeah. So it was it certainly wasn't just about people with disabilities. Um, uh, but as we discovered, as we went through the project, is you know, two others of the community leaders at the table, although they were representing people who are indigenous or people of color, they both had disabilities that they were dealing yeah. with as well. And so we saw the common denominator and then decided, well, let's see if we can create more discussion. Well, that, that kind of brings me to the next question is how did the housing lab come to fruition? Oh. Yeah, I'm not sure about the lab. That was kind of before me. Okay. Um, but yeah, I just got approached and was asked and, and spent about six months, you know, doing sort of some of the committee work. And again, it's hard to know how to start these sort of projects. Can you explain what the Housing Lab project does? Like, as somebody who doesn't know anything about it. Well, I think it's supposed to be like two-way in that, you know, the, we learn from each other. Um, so we bring our own expertise to the table. But it's also an opportunity to use the university's resources to learn more, to, you know, um, find common denominators, you know, because, of course... You know, the staff at the the housing lab have access to all the information and research you want. Um, so that that's a was a crucial component having access to that kind of stuff. And also, it it helps us get our viewpoints and our um, what we think out there into the world, not just in the like in the little bubble kind of thing. But yeah. yeah, well, and then the housing choice series that Michelle and I participated in that came about because I ended up in a room full of architects and they were talking about how to help those poor people and saying things like, well, we couldn't really find anybody to interview while well, my head, I thought was exploding <laughs> on camera because I'm like, what? Like, who do you want to talk to? Like, I mean, I was shocked that that was said and I was very upset. And I thought that nobody, these people should not be paid, being sitting around talking about us without us. Yeah. That half of that room should have been people with disabilities and half of the rooms should be people who have architecture you know, experience. And so that really upset me and the fact that they said they couldn't find anybody to talk to. And I thought, well, I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how this three-part series came about. Right? It was just because of that one experience where I have had that experience like way more times than I would like to, to yeah. acknowledge in my life where I'm the only one with a disability in a room full of able-bodied people trying to figure out how to help us. Well, just ask us. <laughs> like We could tell you, 
but often they don't like the answers or, you know, it doesn't fit into the rampant capitalism we've got going on right now. And so it makes those conversations really difficult. Yeah. Really awkward. How much work it went into planning the project and how, how much, how long was each session? Well, a lot of work and planning went into this project. We started meetings, what, two months before the actual housing series. And we met once a week for sure on Wednesday for like, what, an hour and a half, two hours sometimes? And then every second Friday. So we met and planned the sessions out and that took a while. And then each session was what, three hours. So a lot of work went into it, a lot of planning, a lot of discussion, a lot of deciding on what to do and how to do it. Well, and it was great to work in a group full of our peers. Like we drawed in other, we drew in other people with disabilities, and so the majority of people in the room were people with disabilities, yes. which, you, you know, is kind of not, doesn't happen as much as we would like it to happen. Yeah. It should happen more often. Yeah. Yes, it should. So who was your audience for the project? Well, well, we put our invitations out really wide. I mean, we're, we were hoping to see, like, developers. Um, and architects. Right. And I don't know how many of those actually came. We do know that we got quite a few bit of interest from the government of Alberta. Yeah, exactly. That a number of people working in housing in those areas attended. Oh, nice. Um, and a lot of our peers came, which was nice for yeah. us, you know, to see the, the support and the love that came from that. And a few other organizations that represent people with disabilities. It was well attended. Maybe yeah, just we wish there'd be more interest from the for-profit side of things. Are you hoping to continue the project in the future? I mean, I, I wasn't sure, like, because initially I was just given a six-month kind of contract for the fellowship, but here we are, like, a year and a half later, and we're still going strong, and the lab itself is talking about adding more voices to the table, and, and that this they want this to be a long-term project, so, yeah. Yeah, I hope it continues. This, this issue of housing needs voices. And we need change. <laughs> and it's a major human rights issue. Yeah. You, you know, the basic tenets of human rights is shelter, right, and food mm -hmm. and security. And we don't have access to shelter. Not shelter that gives us dignity and allows us to do what everyone else does. Work, play, you know, thrive. Okay. Were there any solutions that were brought forward and are they viable? It always takes that capital investment, which, of course, people with disabilities don't are the have. lowest income earners of yeah. any identifiable group. We don't have access to money. The only way we, we have access is through insurance. So if you have the great privilege of being in a workplace accident or a car accident, I'm being facetious, you know, <laughs> but or or your family has money and they can sort of compensate for what is not provided. But we don't all have that. Mm -hmm. A lot of us come from middle-class working families that can't afford to house, like, to make that kind of commitment, right? Yeah. My parents always helped me make sure I had a vehicle to drive. But a house is way beyond what one middle-class family yeah. can sort of afford to do for one of their children type thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why is accessible housing critical to society? Well, if you don't have housing... You can't be happy, comfortable, work, 
have a family, you know, housing is the number one thing that people need. Yeah, and I mean, when if we have appropriate housing, then we can work. Then we can pay taxes. And go to then, school. Then, you know, like, it's, it's what everybody aspires to do. That's mm-hmm. all we want. Same as everyone else. Yeah. yeah. Who do you want to pay attention to the housing lab outside of the actual attendees? Yeah, builders, like developers, builders, government. Yeah. You know, and, and I think the problem is, is within sort of the capitalist system, right, we're always about three months. Did we make money in this three-month period? We're always about making money, making money, making money, but housing is a long-term investment. And, and people need to realize how they're saving by providing us that housing. Because if we don't have appropriate housing, we end up in long-term care facilities, which cost three times more, if not more. The brain. We, we end up in hospitals which, again, costs mm-hmm. way more than just supporting us, even with home care in our own homes. Yeah. yeah. Um, if it costs more to renovate to make accessible housing, why not build accessible housing to start with? Good question. I, please, <laughs> let's figure that out. We agree. <laughs> We're not sure what regular Albertans need to hear to understand the value of doing this properly. We struggle more. We yeah. know that, right? We're okay with that. Yeah. You know, those it's of us that part make of our it, lives. we're, we're in yeah. for the fight, but we'd like a few, th- like, Basic access to housing, which is accessible and affordable housing, yeah, would would take a huge barrier away from us and really make us more productive yeah. and able to support ourselves and to live independently and not use all the extra services and be part of the community more. Mm-hmm. Are there any myths in the community that you want to dispel about housing? Well, I thought, I mean, and I said this just recently on the radio this week, but where does Albertans think we live? If we use a wheelchair, like really, we're out on the streets. You see us, we're visible in society. Where do you think we live? You know, and again, I mean, there could be just a lack of knowledge because certainly I can rent an apartment, right? Cause I use a wheelchair. I can rent an apartment with an elevator it has to have an elevator, but then I can't get into any of the bathrooms. I have to literally crawl in and out of a bathroom and, and, you know, climb on furniture to get dishes out of my counter or, you know, oh, out of my I kitchen. I hate to see you do that. Oh, I, I don't do it anymore, thank okay. God. But as a younger person, that's what you do. You crawl. And, you... and I've taken risks like Roxanne and um, the, my parents' house. I mean, shoot, I had to climb two flights of stairs to get to my bedroom. Or when I moved to the basement, I had to climb down. A flight of stairs. And that and, takes away you know, valuable energy that yes, we could be spending I, on our careers and our families. At school, I was going to university at the time. Yeah. And I tell you, I was so exhausted all the time. Not only from school, but from having to maneuver in my own house, mm-hmm. right? And spend all that extra energy on stairs and stuff. Anything else you want to say? I... Just that we appreciate the interest from the Affordable Housing Lab. Yeah. Um, Josh and Laura were lovely. They were great. You know, and really wanted to put us in a position of power. And Laura was at the meeting with the architects, and she saw, she got to see what happened and how, you know, I'm normally a pretty confident, well-spoken person, and yet you put me in front of a bunch of people that don't see me as equal to them and she just could see how I just shrunk into the Mm -hmm. background and she even tried to say 
Roxanne, you should, you know, in the meeting, try and encourage to raise me up. And I couldn't, I felt powerless. And so I felt unsafe. And so we need to create safe spaces, safe spaces for us to speak honestly and not be patronized and condescended by some person that's only interested in money. Right. We need to be considered as full humans who deserve to have quality in their lives. And well, it's not about money. Disability should never be. No. And we are full human beings. Yeah. Like, we have families and kids and grandkids and, and careers and all that. And we go to university. And but we also jobs. see that many of yeah, our peers jobs. don't make it. Yeah. Right. They don't make they, it through these really complicated Barriers. Right. Some yeah. of us do, like that are just the fighters and aren't giving up for nothing. But not everybody's wired that way, and nor mm-hmm. should they have to be to have a quality of life. And it's it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> it's exhausting, and I think that's why a lot of our peers don't make it. Yeah. It's because it's it's exhausting and demoralizing and yeah. dehumanizing. I mean, I didn't understand. At seventeen, I came. I came from the farm. Into the city, I'm going to do what everybody else does. I got a renter's guide. I wouldn't have known. Like, and I didn't know until my 30s that, oh, there's like agencies that help with, you know, unique housing needs. Well, I never even thought. I mean, I grew up in a conservative family. You take care of yourself. You do. So it didn't even dawn on me that I was supposed to look to a charity for to meet my housing needs when I was paying full market rent. Mm-hmm. I sometimes teased the landlords a bit and just said, well, I shouldn't have to get paid. To, like, I should get a reduction in rent because I can't use the balcony. And, I, you know, there's <laughs> areas of the building I can't access. So why am I paying for them? Oh, yeah, that didn't go over. Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was a great conversation. I appreciate your ability to support and advocate in the community as influencers and educators. I have one qu- final question for the both of you. What would be the title of the book about you if Roxanne wrote it, Michelle? I'm not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And same question for you, Roxanne. What would the title of the book about you be if Michelle wrote it? Okay. Yeah, well, I had this nickname when like the internet first started, so a very long time ago. <laughs> like around 95, there's a song by Sawyer Brown called Broken Candy. And I used that as my nickname on the internet for years because candy's candy. Sweet, right? Sweet no matter what. So, yeah. Good job. Thank you for taking your time and energy today, ladies. Michelle and Roxanne can both be contacted through the VAD office. Voice of Albertans with Disabilities is a cross-disability, non-profit organization of and for people with disabilities. VAD is guided by the principles of accessibility, equity, and inclusion. Learn about VAD services on our website at vadsociety.ca or call 780-488-9088 for more information. Thank you again for joining VAD's podcast. Signing off for today, together we hold the power.